Hello and welcome to another episode of Sounds Like Comics, the podcast devoted to all things comic books in movies and TV. I'm Luke. My co-host today is Nathan. Hello and thanks for having me back. Today's topic, Blade 2, Guillermo del Toro's slick superhero B-movie, a sequel to Blade from 98. It is the second installment in the Blade franchise, followed by Blade Trinity. The film follows the human-vampire hybrid Blade in his continuing effort to protect humans from vampires, finding himself in a fierce battle against a group of mutant vampires who seek to commit global genocide of both vampire and human races. Blade and his human allies are coerced into joining forces with a special elite group of vampires. This is your warning. We will be talking spoilers. So Blade 2, I've been meaning to get to this movie for the podcast in quite a while. We've done Blade already. Um, I don't know why, but this is just taking a little bit longer to get to. But Blade 2, I mean, most people love that first Blade film. And this movie just ended up being its own thing. Yes, a sequel to that film. Where's the Snipes is back. Chris Christopherson is back, which if you've seen Blade at the time was very surprising. Like, I thought he was gone. Like he was left for dead, the shotgun back in this movie. Yeah, which is weird. But yeah, they made a completely different thing. And you've got to give credit to director Guillermo del Toro. I mean, he definitely brought his style. And mm. I'm pretty sure this is the only one of his movies that he didn't actually write, didn't contribute to the script. He was there as a director. Julie is a director, yeah. Del Toro's always struck me as like Tim Burton on steroids. Like he's just, he takes Burton's quirkiness and eccentricity and just ratchets it and dials it right up and gets into really disturbing imagery and just like haunting kind of gothic imagery. And um, I mean, just look what he did with the Hellboy films. Um, just, I, you know, I, I really love his, his whole monsters kind of vibe. And he, he brings that sensibility and, and that ethic to Blade 2 for sure. Yeah, definitely. I agree with that. Yeah, Tim Burton on steroids. Did you notice the Hellboy connection in this movie? And I'm not talking about Ron Perlman. Uh, no, I thought it was Ron Perlman, but no. I mean, he's an obvious connection. He is yeah. Hellboy. And he was El it was Hellboy before, no, after this movie. Hellboy came out yeah. in 2004. On a side this note, I love the Hellboy films. Absolutely love them. Yeah, no, me too. So this was 2002. So two years later is when Del Toro did Hellboy. But if you look at Norman Reedus's character, Scuzz, at one point he's wearing a T-shirt with the logo of Bureau of Paranormal Research ah, and Defense. Also the BPRD. Known, yes, as the BPRD. The fist holding the sword. Yeah, but... No way. Honestly... I, what a cool little Easter egg. <laughs> I've never noticed it. I have never noticed it, right? That's, I watched this that's incredible. Movie. I've seen it maybe 10 times. And then for this podcast, I went back and rewatched it recently. And then I was doing prep for this, and I came across that bit about the T-shirt. So I had to Google image the movie. He absolutely does. I've that's just an never incredible Easter egg. Never noticed it. But what, what's even more amazing about that in and of itself is that you have – he's referencing a comic book outside of 
another comic book. Like, say, this is a Marvel, Marvel Comics movie, right? Yeah. So you've got a character in a Marvel Comics movie wearing a BPRD t-shirt from that, all for all intents and purposes, belongs to Dark Horse Comics. And it foreshadowed Del Toro's next project. It's really cool, isn't it? But the fact it's that so you and I cool. both missed it every time. We I know. never noticed it. Did you know what? Maybe Marvel didn't notice this either. Maybe they did exactly. But you talk, you talk about the micro and the macro. It's just wow, you know. You know, something similar happens in Blade Trinity. It's not quite the same because it's Marvel in Marvel, but the Patton Oswalt character is wearing a Fantastic Four T-shirt, which I remember at the ah. time, like, oh, does that mean anything? It didn't. It meant absolutely nothing. <laughs> and then, quick side note, yeah, quick side note: How absolutely jacked is Ryan Reynolds in Blade Three? He's huge. Yeah, he is. And that's around about the time that he did uh, the Amityville Horror remake. And it just seems mm. so odd that his character was so jacked in that movie. But yeah, I think he wanted to move away from Van Wilder and he was, yeah. he was doing different things. But Blade Trinity, like, I mean, we will get to that one day. Well, but he was a mess. had all the good lines in that, as always. Right. The movie was just a mess. What they, what the studio was looking at doing was spinning off a Night Stalkers movie. So they were looking yep. to leave Snipes behind, and he knew. Anyway, that's a conversation. Yeah. We'll get to that. We'll get to that. For another time. Mm. Blade 2 was released on March 22nd, 2002, and was a box office success, grossing over $155 million. It received mixed reviews from critics, earning praise for its performances, atmosphere, direction, and action sequences, although its script and lack of character development have been criticised. Mm. I mean, I remember watching it at the time and watching it again for this it does what it needs to do. It is what it needs to be. It is yeah. a action horror movie. If you're a horror fan, it's got the gore. If you're an action fan, it's got the action. If you like a bit of comedy, you've got the quips. I mean, so for it me, worked on many levels. Yes, it's got it all. It is it's absolutely got it all. But critically, it did get some criticisms, which you know, yeah, I, I, I don't have. understand that. I don't understand the hate because uh, for it because I do like like you said it just works on every level. It does. I mean, I wouldn't go as far as saying hate, but reviews were mixed, you know. But I guess it's yeah. what do you want out of it? I mean, again, it does feel as a natural progression from that first Blade movie, but at the same time, it is quite different. Like it's different mm. enough, and and there's things you're bringing, like, in, bringing yeah. in new characters, bringing in new dynamics, but and in, you're, you're doing something different. Yeah, but is that like the design of the vampires like, and the and the way that they look? Like we've not seen that. I mean, yes, it, it's due to the story of this film. And David S. Goyer, you've got to give him credit. He was a writer on all three Blade films and went on to direct the third one. So you've got the same writer on all three movies, but one of the biggest distinctions that starts with this movie is that mutation of the other vampires. And right. you, you know, you've got the big bad. In this film, you've got Jared Nomak, played by Luke Goss, and he's got more so his dad, but he's got like a Nosferatu look about him, like classic vampire look, bald, yeah. uh, looks a bit weathered. Uh, again, more so his dad has the pointy ears, but it's more that style of vampire. But then the yeah. where the jaw opens and it's like that succubus thing comes out. And that's so instead of mm. being the classic vampire bite on the neck, it's a lot more graphic than that. And we've got yeah, to we're, see it. We're getting in, more of a hybridization. That's right. But we later saw it in Del Toro's TV series based on the comic, The Strain. 
that same design of a vampire, which apparently the yeah. predate Blade that, like, Blade. like fold out kind of jaw extension. Yes. And we see it again in Blade Trinity with you know, I mean Triple H is in that movie for for reasons. Yeah. And his his character, he's got vampire dogs, and they mutate the same way as mm. uh as the main guy Nomak in, in this movie. But Luke Goss. Yeah. Anyway, sorry, before we get to that. So, yeah, Del Toro definitely bringing his own styles, although it feels a sequel to that first Blade film, which was directed by Stephen Norrington, who chose not to come back because he wanted to do other mm. things and later did The League LSG. of Every Gentleman, yeah. which we've reviewed recently. But, recently. yeah, just yep. props to Del Toro. Although he didn't write this film, it very much looks like a Del Toro like, film. Yeah, it feels at home Yeah, with him. Absolutely. So going back, so going back to the big bad, Jared Nomak, played by Luke Goss from pop group Bros. <laughs> I mean, British pop group, and here he is. And since this movie, he was gone on to do like many roles. I mean, he came back with Del Toro for Hellboy Two. He was the bad guy in that as well. Oh, yeah, he's, right, he's got right. Got the gotcha. long hair, so he's looking a little gotcha. bit different. But it's yeah, wow. it's the um, it's the same guy, and then he's gone to do like many many generic action movies over the years. But for me, this is the film outside of music that I first noticed him, and he's really good in this. Like he's a really good foe. He's a yeah, it's crazy. Like, I, character. I wasn't really familiar wasn't really familiar with him until you mentioned his role in Hellboy Two, and I was like, ah, now I know the dude you're talking about. I'm on the, I'm on the level. Ah. There you yeah, go. I'm not that familiar with him, but yes, he's 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 great. I mean, he put a lot of work into this role. He had 10 weeks yep. of boxing, karate, and combat training to get himself down to 5% body fat. Oh, man, that's incredible. He really got himself in shape. You know, it's worth noting that this is the only film in the Blade trilogy in which the main antagonist is killed by Blade's sword. But it's not Blade himself. It's Nomak killing himself with the sword. Oh. What's really interesting about that, and again, this movie, you know, for me personally, does work on so many levels, is that Nomak is going out. He wants revenge on his dad, his sister, because he was jealous that she was always the favourite, and is driven by revenge. But when he's got the when Blade. I think Blade stabs him first, and then it's Nomak that finishes the job and pushes the sword in and kills himself. Mm. It makes reference mm. to the fact that he no longer he's no longer in pain. So this is a character that not only was he betrayed, like he was in pain, like he was in constant pain his whole existence. Yeah. So it just adds that extra layer. Like this is not just a cartoon villain. Absolutely. Like he's not just looking just- to take over the world. Like he's he's hurting. You mentioned his physicality, and that's uh, like much like with Hellboy too. I, I keep bringing it up, but it's the common denominator here. It's it's the bridge that Luke, Luke Goss. He his roles are very physical. The both roles I've seen him in in those two films, just extremely physical roles. A lot of a lot of um, a lot of movement, a lot of activity, and a lot of just physically demanding things he need, he has to do for his character. Yeah, again, like I've got no criticisms at all like he's fantastic in this and again you know, in, in hellboy 2 he's which great. review he's a great comedy. villain no matter no matter what role what what bill no matter what movie he's in he just plays a great villain got to talk about snipes i mean he has admitted over the years this is his mm. personal favorite blade film i mean yeah. 
you can't beat that cool opening of the first Blade movie. Yeah, that was but, sick. But this film, again, fantastic. He is Blade. We're going to get another Blade in the MCU, Masala Ali. We heard him in audio only in the post credit scene of Eternals. But he's going to be getting his own movie and they keep stalling issues with directors, scripts and all of that. So eventually we're going to get a new Blade. But it's hard to think of anybody else other than Wesley Snipes as Blade. Oh, man. He'll always be my Blade. I say bring back Snipes. Why the hell not? Why would you not? It's a new thing. It's a new thing. Yeah. Yeah. He wants, they want to do something new, go in a different direction. But I mean, come on. It's, it's like, it's, he's iconic. It's like Hugh Jackman and Wolverine, you know? It's just, you can't have Blade without Wesley Snipes. Yeah, but the thing is that I'm pretty sure, I mean, Jackman was a lot younger in 2000 when they first made X-Men. Sure. 98, sure. Blade, it, Blade, again, like, he is Blade. What I meant to say is Snipes. He'd already had this big career, not just doing action, but dramatic roles. He'd been in comedies, mm. White Men Can't Jump. Like he yeah, that was cool. Already. So it's not like Blade was a big break for him. So if you think no. about how old he, he would have been, cool. where he would have been in his career in 98, and then again for this yeah. in 2002. You're right. You're right. He, he was already really, like, he couldn't really do it now. He was already very well, already very well established prior to Blade coming along. So I see what you're saying. Yeah. Whereas it makes sense for the MCU to cast their own Blade. But do you know what I'd be okay with? Mm. If Snipes was a Whistler. Why not? Yeah. Why not have yeah. him as the older mentor type to Blade? I mean, it might confuse mm. some people. But, um, Wouldn't that be cool? That would be Wouldn't cool. Wouldn't that be cool? Wouldn't that be great if Marvel just brings Snipes back in some capacity? You know? Oh, Snipes is known for martial arts. Like it can do the action. It really. Mm. What I will say, there's you cast Snipes because you want him to put on screen what he's capable of. Right? Yeah, and you he, want him to be badass. Very well. He is badass. But one thing that I do think of whenever I see these Blade films, when he's fighting, he's not really winning. I just feel like he'd be winning those fights if it was Wesley Snipes in another action movie because mm. he's just taking vampires down with punches and kicks. I mean, yeah. yes, they'll get impaled and they die, but do you know what I mean? Like they're down for the count because Snipes will kick him in the stomach or like knock him down. And although it's impressive, it's sort of like you don't really feel like you're watching a superhuman character at times. Yeah. If that makes sense, I'm not sure if I communicated that right, but it's yeah, he's great, you know what, he's fantastic, yeah. but it's yeah, you know, anyway, <laughs> that's just a lot of saying. These days, with if they're trying to convey a sense of super superhumanness with with characters, they do like that thing with like the wires and like you know they have big giant leaps onto things and they do those big leaping yeah. attacks using wires. You don't see saying that. saying that though, they do that here and it looks atrocious. I reckon yeah. there's there's a visual in this movie, and it's the worst thing that's included in all three <laughs> Blade movies, and it's yeah. that fight in front of the the lights. Mm. Plus, you're just seeing Blade and the other character in silhouette. You almost imagine having a controller in your hand and you're playing a video game. It just looks yeah. shocking. And for the most oh. part, like, you, you know, when the, the vampire, the, the hybrids, the jaws opening, and you get the mutation, I mean, of course, that's going to be uh, a CG effect. Of course. Well, Del Toro has always used a lot of practical effects. So I know that's yeah. coming into play as well. So maybe that's 
by its extra jarring. But you know what I'm talking about, right? that scene in front of the lights. And it mm. is just a shocking visual. And going back to that first time watching it, it just took me out of it. The shocking visual. Yeah, Even yeah I can see what you mean. Then. I see what you mean. He likes to use a lot of practical effects, a lot of costumes, a lot of um, padding, layering, uh, prosthetics, a, a lot of heavy prosthetics and rubber and makeup. He's very old school with his um, visual effects. And I kind of appreciate that. Absolutely. Especially, yeah, especially actors who are willing to undergo you know, hours in the chair to, to, to make themselves look otherworldly. Let's talk about the blood pack. And before we get into individual members, let's just talk about them as a whole. Because I thought this was interesting. I never noticed this when, when watching it. So they've had two years training to hunt Blade. But what mm-hmm. I didn't realize, maybe it's communicated in the movie, I don't know, but each member, they've got the individual role that is the counter against Blade. And this is as follows. Snowman is the counter against his sword play. Lighthammer counters his strength. Valorane or Valorine uh, counters the technical side of him. Chopper counters his heavy firepower. Reinhardt and Priest are the point men meant to counter his short-range attacks. So I thought that that was very interesting, that the, the vampires are that in fear of Blade that they've put this yeah. team together. But to counter him, they need so many separate individuals to go up against Blade. Working as a as a, as a whole. Yeah, I know what you mean. It's, it's cool. It's like they've, they've I, I get what you mean. It's like they've got individual pieces that come together as a whole to counter all the facets that make up his Blade's um, fighting prowess. Yeah, because like, it's like individually, they've got no chance. So they they have to have to fight together. And together, yeah. That's pretty cool. It's a cool concept. And Ron Perlman, like oh. I mean, there's many members that make up the blood pack, but I think most people come away from this remember. movie remembering Ron Perlman as Dieter Reinhardt. I was waiting for you to get to him. He's the one guy I wanted to talk about. He just looks so visually awesome in this film. Because the thing as well is that the, the team are being controlled by bomb implants on the back mm. of their heads. Nanites and stuff, yeah. But then it's revealed, or so they think, they're actually duds. Because you've got Scuzz played by Reedus, and he was secretly working for them. But Blade's like, I've been on to you from the get-go. I've known that you've been playing me this whole time. But you've got the bit yeah. where Dieter, he removes it, throws it to Scuzz, and then Blade's like, it's not a dud, <laughs> and blows him up. Boom, Yeah. But yeah. for the longest time, the Blood Pack do seem to be towing the line with Blade because, of course, they're playing the part. You've got the yeah. character of Nyssa, who is later revealed to be the, the sister of Jared. So that whole relationship. But then she feels like she's betraying her father because she admires Blade. Blade saved her. Oh, so there's... Oh, there's a lot of interesting drama amongst yeah. all yeah. the the horror and the action. I think what's interesting about Perlman's character is Reinhardt. Yeah, yeah, is that it's the least amount of makeup you've ever seen Perlman wear on screen. He's just basically him. Um, no heavy makeup or anything like that, like like in Hellboy or any or any of his other roles. Um, it's just him, um, and he just looks physically intimidating and imposing, and he just nails it. 
Yeah, yeah, he, he, you're right. He does look like him. I mean, I spent years watching Sons of Anarchy when he was Clay Morrow. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> they much look right. like Ron Perlman in that. But you're right, though. Hellboy and other similar roles where he often is covered up or he does a lot of voice work. So yeah, no, it was mm. good seeing him, and he's a badass. Like he, he is, he is conveys he, that, and yeah. As you say, he as Clay and Sons of Anarchy, he shows you he's a badass, and he doesn't need a lot of costume work on him to be a badass. He can just use his body language and his physical presence to be badass. And this film is an exemplification of that. This film shows you that. You know, I've just realized we did a recent review of Wanted. And in that, it was revealed that the character played by Thomas Kretschmann, Cross, was in fact James McAvoy's character's dad. Actually, yeah. apologies if that's a spoiler for Wanted if you've not seen it. But the reason why I'm bringing that up is he's in this movie also. Yeah, there you I go. I did not make that connection. He's he's the dad. He's the head vampire. Obviously, he's buried under a lot of prosthetics. You can see why you would miss him. But it's quite interesting, massive coincidence, the last review we recorded together, this guy's in both movies. In both movies. is a nice common thread. Yeah, and he plays the father. But again, like very... Not so far too looking character, mm. really buried under those prosthetics, but plays the part well, and yeah. yeah, very much yeah. so. Yeah, so he's the he's the big bad, really. Like you start off thinking it's Jared. I mean, even that opening where he's going to the vampire blood bank, and it's like the vampires think they've got one up on him, but in actual fact, he's going to take them all out, and it's all caught on CCTV, and that kicks off the events of the movie. Absolutely. The guy in the beginning, Rush, a vampire flunky in Prague, doesn't end too well for him because at the no. opening of the movie, Blade is like, I'll come back for you later. And he does. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> you just actually made me Absolutely. think of something. Um, in the first Blade, there's a character. He's a bit of a no-name no bit part character, but I remember where he's from now. Uh Donald Logue is the actor's name, and he appears in a lot of a lot of things. Sons of Anarchy, he was in it. Um, he's also in a sitcom that I used to like watching called Grounded for Life. Yes, but he I used played, to watch that. He, me too. It was a funny show. He plays the, the henchman who loses his hand in Blade One. He's also yeah, in Ghost Blade. Rider. He plays Nick yes. Cage's mate in that. Yeah. Uh, he was Detective work. Yes, it was Detective Bullock in the Gotham TV show. Yeah, this guy is That's in right. so many things. I in- love Donald Logue, so it was cool to see him in Blade. Yes, in in, in the first one. Yeah. This movie, uh, I mean, Tony Lee, we talked about the gore, the violence, and all of that. To get the movie with, to get the movie in R rating, Green Blood was used for the Reapers. That's oh, how go. they got so around. They get around that. I mean, that yeah. would have been like in the US. It, you know, they wanted an yeah. R rating for it. Nothing more than that, because I guess that would affect the, the box office. Over here, though, that would have been like MA15+. plus. Yeah, Yeah, and it probably is already. You probably, yeah, yeah, I'd say that's that's what it would be for us. Yeah. So, all right, then. So this movie, it sounds like we're both fans of it. If you're going to rate it out of five. I'm coming in at four. I reckon four is decent. Um I liked it. I thought it was good. It um, it builds up and expands upon the original, fleshes out the world building a bit more. Uh, we get an introduction to new characters. 
and um, we get more more of an insight. Uh, we get more of a motivation for the forces against Blade, and we get to see a nice counterbalance, as we mentioned earlier on in the pod, to his to his to his abilities in the form of the 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 blood pack. So um, yeah, I I, I enjoyed it, um, and I, I think four is a, a decent score for me. Um, there's nothing I dislike about it, but again, there's nothing that makes it really warrant a five from me. So I think four is a nice round mid midpoint for me to come in on it for blade two yeah before i get to the rating i forgot to mention when speaking about the tone this movie has a body count of 110 there you go i wonder if mainly mainly vampires but still they count so 110 deaths in this movie honestly for for the longest time this was my favorite blade film and it's not until revisiting all three blade films Fairly recently, it's the first one for me. I absolutely love that film, but still oh, yeah. really like this movie. Yeah, the, there's nothing, with you. nothing to dislike about it. I'm with you. I'm going to come in at a, a four out of five. It is a solid horror action movie. Um, but Agreed. I'm just leaning a bit more towards that first movie. And again, we'll get to Trinity one day. But this, this movie... It really is great. And it's a film that when people talk about Del Toro's back catalogue, they don't tend to go to this movie. No, because it doesn't... More, yeah, yeah I mean, it's mean? for his, his critical films, you know, whether it be Pan's Labyrinth, The Shape of Water. But this is a great film. And again, although he didn't write it, like his fingerprints are all over it. Yeah, and I think it's purely to come down comes down to the fact that he's just brought on as director in name only. He doesn't really get to impose too much of his style on it, although it's there. But just it could be more so had he had more of a hand in in, in how it actually shapes up. Yeah, I mean, I did read some things that he had some issues with Goya's script and like some of the heavy-handed dialogue. Um, overly descriptive like some of the dialogue said by mainly straight out mainly the blood pack some of the dialogue they're basically saying what you can see on screen i can see del toro's point there you wouldn't necessarily get that from one of his scripts but hey later this year not too far away now we're going to get his stop motion pinocchio movie on netflix so we've got that to look forward to there you go I think uh, the first one for me is a hard five because it was just, it was brilliant. The first blade, but this one comes in slightly lower to four. Not that there's anything wrong with the film. It just, I think the first one was the, was, was the better one for me, but this is still by no means a bad film. It's, it's a good entry to the series. Four out of five, mate, four out of five is a high score. So there we go. So we both rate this movie highly. Of course. Well, that's it for our episode all about Blade 2. If you want to contact us about this episode or request a topic for an upcoming show, you can find us on Facebook as Sounds Like Comics Podcast. Nathan, thanks for being on the show today. Thanks for having me. Always a pleasure, never a chore. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time. <laughs>